to season two of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected, where we share inspiring stories with artists and art professionals on a wide range of topics, including race, work ethics, inspiration, and the ways in which art influences and is affected by culture. Join us as we continue the journey of sharing the interesting and inspiring stories of some of today's hottest artists and art professionals in the industry. Let's go! On this episode, we're joined by Clotilde Jimenez, born in Honolulu, Hawaii in 1990. He is a visual artist currently based in Mexico City. Jimenez has developed an artistic practice that spans multimedia collage, resulting in a thought-provoking canon of motifs, including tropical fruits, pink painted fingernails, lingerie, and boxing gear. Emotions triggered from vivid dreams and memories take form as the artist sketches daily. I caught up with Jimenez during the global lockdown to learn more about his work and practice. Sit back and relax and dive into this episode with Clotilde Jimenez. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about ideas of race and race relations and how, if at all, do racial issues come up in your work? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I, when I make my work, I'm not really, I don't go into it thinking about like, you know, I, I want to make something that speaks about racial issues. I used to do that when I was, you know, an undergrad, when I was first trying to develop, you know, my voice and all of that. I was, you know, younger, you know, maybe 10 years ago. This was like, you know, at the forefront of my mind. But these days, uh, I'm trying to talk about something either about sexuality or, 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 you know, gender or something. But the thing is, is, you know, I'm black, so I can't ever avoid that. And I don't want to avoid that, but I, 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 I don't know these days I'm like, instead of just going straight in with it, let's let it naturally come in the work, you know? So just the idea of just, just the, the fact of making like a Brown or black person, you know, on a canvas, that's, that's highly political without me even trying to do anything. So yeah, it does. It's a big part of my work. Would you say race relations as well? What did you? Yeah. Um, race relations. I think that that was probably going to be another question that I came yeah. to afterwards, but mm-hmm. just based on your response just now, I sort of wanted to say that it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, by, by default, you are a black man and you are an artist. And so yeah. A combination of those two things are going to come out like they they your blackness will in, inherently come out in your work without you needing to speak about it or specifically right. make work about race. Right. I mean, I don't want to be like super didactic these days. What do you mean didactic? I don't want to push anything down anyone's throat. I I don't know. I mean, I'm constantly uh, growing, maturing and evolving my, my mental health and everything. And, and the way I see myself, self-worth, all of it as a black man, as a black person is different than what it was 10 years ago. I was very lost and confused. And so, like I said, it's not like the, the first thing. It, it, it comes through naturally and it comes through very strongly. But it's a package deal, I guess. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just part of being who you are, right? Like right. You, you can't separate your blackness from your experience. Right. And nor do I want to, but mm-hmm. I just let it happen, you know, in a more organic way. You know? Yeah, definitely. I love that. As far as personal experiences, can you speak a little bit to your ethnic and racial background? Sure. 
I'm black. No. <laughs> you, you gotta like that's a joke, but it's also very serious. You know, I mean, a lot of people they don't like to lead with that. I just want to make it very clear. I'm a black man. I'm very proud. Part of my family is from Puerto Rico. The other part is African American. Mm-hmm. The Puerto Rican side is, to be honest, I don't know what they identify. I mean, they're brown, you know, but, yeah. they, but they have like, like straight hair, but they're not white. And then my, you know, my African-American family is, is African-American and then I have myself. So I identify as a black Latino. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends in, in some circles of black Latino, other circles, I'm just black. It just depends on what I need to, because you have a lot of, you know, Latinos, Afro-Latinos who... You know, they're like, I'm not black, I'm this, I'm Indian. I'm like, no, you black. You're like, just be proud and just let's lead with that, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I was born in, in, in Honolulu. Uh, my dad was a sailor in the Navy at one point, and he was stationed out there. But no, my family's from Philadelphia. We moved back. I grew up there. I didn't spend a lot of time in Hawaii. I just remember starting... Like kindergarten is like my first memories of starting kindergarten in in, in Philadelphia, and and that's that. You know, I, I I'm in contact with my relatives in Puerto Rico. I try to visit them every couple of years, and yeah, I live in Mexico now. So yeah, it's it's nice. It's kind of comfortable circle, like to Latin America, you know. So it's nice. Definitely. Have you had a lot of opportunities to explore Mexico, and how long have you been there? I've been living here for a little over a year. Um, I, I've had some opportunities. I've, I've gone to a few places, some little pueblos, you know, for like family weddings, explore Mexico City where I live, you know, had some exciting and some dangerous, you know, in, you know, like Hollywood and, you know, like narco stuff, but I was safe. It's just a part <laughs> of the life here. Yeah. You know, especially when you leave the city and you go to like, you know, to the little pueblos. I mean, this is how it is. But, you know, I'm not going to downplay anything. But, you know, if, if you're street smart, that that's a universal language. You can survive really anywhere. But the thing is, coronavirus happened. Yeah. And we've kind of been on lockdown. So I haven't been able to explore like a lot, a lot. But I'm here to stay and I have the rest of my life to to explore this beautiful country. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And as far as making the move to Mexico, why the choice to live in Mexico and how did that come about? Around 2016, I was applying for grad schools mm. and for MFA. And I applied to a couple in New York. I applied to a couple in London. And I got into you know, one in New York and one in London. And I, I thought part of it is like... <sighs> I have a lot of friends and I, and I know a lot of people who, Americans and, and even international people, they, they go to New York. If you're an artist, let's go to New York or let's go to L.A., you know, if you're feeling a little bit more, you know. But yeah, I wanted to see what London was like. I wanted to see what my experience as African-American, my story, my, my work, how my work would be read, what I could learn. And I, did, I just didn't know people who who did that move. So I said, let's, let's, let's do it. And yeah. And it also was, was, was Trump, you know, I, I knew Trump was going to win. I knew, and I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to be around for that. I really didn't. 
and I moved to London and to to for my my MFA and and yeah, Brexit happened. Ended up meeting my my wife out there, who's Mexican in London. Okay. And we we, we decided like you know what are we gonna do we. We we don't want to, you know, London is a great place, but it's changing politically, economically. And we we don't, we didn't want to be, stick around in a place that was, you know, becoming a little less welcome, welcoming. And we chose to move to Mexico. And I think it was the best decision that, um, that, that I've made. And we're, we're very happy. And yeah, it's nice. I love that. And what does your wife do? She actually is my studio manager. So no way. I've been talking to her this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. I have no idea. She's been so lovely. That's I good. just have to say. She's been amazing. Everything is so smooth. Like, well, she's like, hey, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Like, amazing. Yeah. I really needed the help. And things are just getting kind of hectic, which is good opportunities and things coming up and it's if you have someone you can trust and they they want to do it and they're good at it then why not right yeah so, absolutely a hundred percent i want to get back a little bit to mexico and just what life has been there what life has been like for you there in the last year or or more mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit to some of the experiences that you've had with narcos and pueblas, and, <laughs> but also <laughs> also yeah. the other experiences that make Mexico such a, a magical place. Yeah, Mexico has been good. I'll start off by saying that it's been good. I've really grown as a person because I'm dealing with things that I just didn't deal with anywhere else, and it's, it's made me mature and, and self-reflect. There's good things, and then there's bad things. I guess I'll just say like, I guess it's like the first time I've, I've lived in a place where there's really no one who looks like me or <laughs> talks like me or, and the, the people that live here, they don't really know anything about me except what they might see like in a Hollywood movie, which is really not accurate or even good representation of a black person, someone like me, you know? So this is the first time in, in the United States, it doesn't matter. Like if you're, if you live like in some, you know, suburb of like, I don't know, Alabama somewhere, and there's a lot of white people, they still, you know, they've seen other kinds of people. And Mexico is not really like that. I mean, immigration is, is not really a big thing. There's tourists every now and then, but there's not like, there's not a lot of immigrants. There's not a, and, and with immigration, people are bringing new ideas new philosophies, everything with them. And that kind of helps advance uh, a culture, a, a group of people when we, we move forward as, as one. But in Mexico, it, it kind of seems if there's, there's only like really one way of doing things. And that's the Mexican way, you know, the, the Catholic, it, it's a very Mexican thing. And I'm just not that. So I don't know. I've really learned a lot about myself and, and, and everyone else. And things are really good, though, now. I mean, I, I kind of bumped heads with some people. Just mm -hmm. everything, like, even, like, a tone of voice and the way I talk, like, and the way I speak Spanish or I, I speak Spanish with a Caribbean accent. And so what that means in Mexico 
you know, people might think, oh, he's uneducated strictly because of the accent. It doesn't matter what I'm saying, mm. you know, oh, he, you know, it, it, it's deep. It's like, okay, where does the accent come from? It comes from a, a region. Okay. Who occupies that region? Black people. It all relates. It goes back to blackness and the ideas of blackness that people have. You know what I mean? Of course. Um, it's like if someone has a Jamaican accent, it's like you don't think of of white people or Chinese. You, you think of when you imagine who's speaking, like if you're listening to a song, you know, it's a black person, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. which is fine. But I think the issue was all of the negative notions people carried with them, mm. um, which I never really uh, encountered. But I, you know, I sit down, I talk to some people, some people I just ignore. Other times I just remember, like, that has nothing to do with me. You know, a great, you know, person, educated. I don't have to prove anything that, that speaks to, to them. And I keep going and I'm not phased. But yeah, it's been like a, a, a growing, you know, experience. But that's just, that, that's some of the, some of the, the obstacles. But there's a lot of good things, you know. I mean, I think people here are generally... Nice. There's there's a whole ignorance thing going on, but this is some of it is the majority of it is is with good intentions. I mean, I won't say good intentions, but they don't have bad intentions. It's just ignorance. And so when you talk to people, they they listen, they learn. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's the, different than people who already have an idea about who and what you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the United States, sometimes if you talk about certain things. You know, it ends up in a fight, mm-hmm. you know, ends up in, you know, as they say, like a Karen, you know, calling mm-hmm. the police on you just just to spite you, just to see how far things will, you know, you, you won't get any of that here. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been good. You know, it's beautiful weather, great food, <laughs> um, affordable to live. Yeah. Oh, Super. yeah. Yeah. Nothing like New York. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll say this just for the record. I think... Not that I think, I believe that Mexico City, it's the new place. You know, I think that for a while, not for a while, but, you know, many years ago, many decades ago, you know, during like World War II, um, up until we'll say like the 70s or even on, you know, artists, queer people, musicians, you know, creative people, women, whoever, marginalized people will say as well have been looking for a place to historically, you know, escape fascism. You know, back in the day, this place was Paris. And you think about James Baldwin, you think about all these people, they were looking for an affordable place with good culture where they, they were, you know, they could, you know, have fun and, you know, it wasn't like bland, where they could just be themselves, really. And express and, their ideas. Yeah, and, and grow. And I think that place was 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 Paris, but it's not anymore because it's not affordable. You can't just go and get your your apartment and get your little studio, you know, and develop and start these groups and stuff. I think that new place, that new city, is Mexico City. And I think in ten years at least, people will start to realize, okay, you know, it's Mexico. So come and and. Set up your little space here now before things, you know, get a little bit more expensive. But that's that's what I believe. Yeah. Place. Oh yeah. I've I've been to Mexico a few times. I was hoping to go again recently, like in twenty twenty, but just COVID. 
And I, from the very first trip, I was like, this place is really, really special. And there's something here. I, I just like, I haven't explored enough to put my finger on it, but there's something special here. And I feel like it's the, it's the, it's a country that I will come back to over and over and over throughout my life. Whenever, like, I don't know, I just have so many romantic ideas about, about living in Mexico, about, about spending time there more, connecting with more people. And also like, you know, just learning more about the language and the culture because there's so much to learn for sure. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. I want to talk now a little bit about your art and how you came to be an artist and maybe some of the pivotal moments in your life that led you to art or some of the moments that sort of, when you look back in life, things that, things, memories, situations that might stand out as periods where you, you may not have realized it at the time, but if, when you look back, you say, oh, wow, this was something that really influenced me in a big way, impacted my life in a big way, and plays a major role today in why I became an artist. Could you speak to some of, some of those ideas? Yeah. I mean, I actually think about this often, like maybe once a week. I'm just in my studio, and I'm just looking around like, man, like, this is what I've achieved. And I, because I came from a different place where, and I was a very different person. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything and I'm not ashamed of this, but I was like, I was kind of like a bum. I was very not enthusiastic about life or anything. I mean, I was a kid and I was struggling with a lot of things like everyone else, daddy issues, you know, you grow up in poverty, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I, I was in Philadelphia and my neighborhood school was Martin Luther King High School or King, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, it, yeah it was not a good place, ironically, because it should be, is a name at least. And um, my mom said, you you going to go here or, you know, this lady at church, <laughs> she gave me a, a card of like a new charter school that they've started where... Basically, if you have some kind of artistic talent, you can go and you have to apply. You, you you know, you draw like a little still life, whatever, and you get in. And, but it was for like, it was for like the inner city youth. So it was the same kids, but, you know, I guess they could draw something or paint something, you know. And I guess the, the rules were if you fought or if there were any gang activity, you got expelled like on site. So... I ended up applying. I got in, got into some trouble. By the grace of God, you know, my teacher just sat me down and was like, look, man, it's the first week of your first year at this school. He's like, I'm going to give you one more chance. And yeah, I was, I still wasn't the best student, but I wasn't fighting anymore. <laughs> and I, from that school, I kind of learned a thing or two about technical art stuff and yeah, an art college at the end of the four years of art college came to the school and tried to recruit us and you know I I was I was still like kind of lazy I guess and I, I really only applied to one school and I thought if I get in I get in if I don't I don't or whatever and I ended up getting into that art college and the rest is history you know I went to that was uh, CIA the Cleveland Institute of Art I went there and and that's kind of how I started um I don't know my, my, my path as an art student, but I really didn't consider myself an artist until like my 
my last year of art school because that's when I got serious. Unfortunately, like I had the same attitude really in college. I was just wasn't, I was wasting my time and I was wasting everyone else's time. And I think they all knew that, you know, (laughs) but one day it just clicked. I was like, I don't have anything else to go back to. There's really not much for me waiting back in Philadelphia. And I have some feelings and thoughts and opinions about things. And let me try to put it into the artwork. And in my last year, I I really buckled down and, and started becoming more vulnerable, I guess, with what I was doing. Mm. And it was kind of raw and, and emotional, and but I had why something. You, why hmm. do you use that word, vulnerable? Because where I come from, and a lot of other people can relate, it's just if you talk about certain issues, you have to open yourself up. And that's a sign. And unfortunately, I don't believe in this, but it's viewed as a sign of weakness. You know, there's a lot of repressed things that, you know, we feel, but we, especially when I say we, I'm especially talking about black men. They'll literally be homophobic as well and say, it's gay. That's, or you like, you know, or sexist. That's, you know, like a woman, you crying, but it's like, it's real stuff. So I had to, that's what I mean. I had to be vulnerable in, with myself and with everyone else. Mm. And yeah, I never look back. Right. And in, be, in, in opening up and allowing this vulnerability to, to take shape, how did that come out? How did that manifest in your art? I started, Visually. well, I started telling my story or the story that I knew and, and not really like telling the story, but mostly asking questions. And I just started using my, my, my artwork, I guess. I started depicting things that were just very potent. Like you couldn't really avoid it, you know, like, mm. for example, I, I remember I was at a uh, CIA in you know, Cleveland Stuvar and I was walking to school and, um, you know, I hate to say this, but you know, it's, it, it's a white institution and there was a lot of racism that I experienced. That's just, unfortunately, that's how it is. It shouldn't be like that, but it's not a secret. And so I I had these things on my mind and I was walking and I saw these group of, of runners, like maybe 12 guys. They were, obviously they were training because they had like uniforms and they were very fit and they were in a group and they were like jogging. They happened to be black guys though. And when I was walking, I saw them and I said, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, I wonder what they're training for. But I saw other people and they were like frightened. They were taking it back. And I'm like, really? Like these guys have like track outfits and it's 12 of them. Come on. And they're sweaty and, but they look like they're pacing. Like it's very obvious they're athletes. And so I went to the studio and I, I started drawing these, these runners, these group of black guys running. And it kind of developed into like this like body of work. That I ended up doing for like for my what do you call it my uh, BFA presentation, but you know to talk about that and critique to young white students that are either ignorant or they just just yeah. racist like they just don't like they just want to prove me wrong just to and then sometimes your teacher isn't on point. You gotta you really have to be strong and and know know what you. You got to believe in yourself. And I, I dealt with some, some pushback a little bit during those times, not with everyone, but with some, I and mean, I wasn't prepared emotionally for that. 
was it hard when that pushback came from teachers? It's different when it comes from students. I I, I would just imagine. Yeah, it, it's all the same for me because it kind of came at the same time, you know, in the critique. I mean, we have students and teachers together. Yeah. And I wouldn't really talk to the students one-on-one about my work, you know. Yeah, it was actually really hard. I had a panic attack actually one time. And I don't know what happened. I just got real dizzy. And I like passed out actually. <laughs> and then the teacher's like, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, no, actually, I'm not. Like, Screw no, you guys. <laughs> like, obviously I'm not okay. <laughs> and then like after that, I left and I went to, there was one professor, his name is Dr. David Hart. And he it was one of the only, one of, I think maybe it was like two, one of the only black professors, very knowledgeable um, taught me a lot about race. He's also uh, gay, taught me a lot about sexuality, politics, gender politics as well. And I talked to him and I was like, man, like, this is what happened. And he just, he said, say no more. Like, we're going to read these these books together. I'm going to tell you like how it is. This is how it's going to be for the rest of your life. You just have to be prepared. You got to be strong. And so this is not going to phase you. And after that, I just, you know, I did my homework, my research, and I, I started surrounding myself. I started building my own community. So starting with David, you know, Dr. David Hart. Yeah. Instead of relying on like my teacher to back me up or or maybe like this person. No, you got to build your own um, tribe almost. Absolutely. Safe people, safe space for yourself. And yeah, so that's what I mean by like when I talk about vulnerability, like I remember that's like the first time I really opened up and they 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 smashed me. I mean, it was crazy, but that could never really happen now because I just, I didn't really have also the same self-worth that I have now. There was a lot of things that I didn't believe that people would say about me or think, but somehow I held on to those those. I don't know. It's really weird. Therapy. I'm not going to lie. Therapy has really helped. <laughs> it will change your life. Yeah. Yeah. Because you think stuff doesn't seep in, but it does somehow, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that the older we get, the more difficult it is because so many of those ways of thinking, patterns, habits, uh, they become a part of you, of a person. And it's hard to separate yourself from your habits. Yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit more about your interdisciplinary approach to art and uh, your use of different materials and this sort of mixed media style where you're using different materials. Can you speak to why you choose the materials that you do? And in any way, are you... Are you making statements through those choices? Yeah, it all goes back to, I guess, the way I was raised. A lot of things, like who we are, how we developed as children and and young adults. And the honest truth is I started using or even thinking about using different materials because I was broke and I I, I just couldn't afford what I thought at the time was proper materials. I thought like a painting or whatever, it had to have paint. Like I said, I was much you know, younger and more naive and um, coming right out of undergrad. And But I come from a place where you use what you have. You gotta get creative if you wanna go somewhere. 
You know what I mean? And Absolutely. you know, some people interpret that as doing illegal things. Some people do legal, but either way, you you have to think outside the box that that you're placed in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I started just looking around my studio, or just around anywhere and just whatever what was available and it manifested itself in a way where i was just um using magazine you know collaging and um from that to like toilet paper i was using or just anything sandpaper and 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 yeah it, it has meaning i mean I, Can you say that again about the sandpaper and the toilet paper because somebody just drove off in a motorcycle yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I was saying like, um, just look around about like what was available, what was, what was around me, or what could be used, what I, what I could transform as, as I could turn it into something meaningful. So I remember being like, um, at like a tools, like a Home Depot or something like that, and I'm like, most people are, are here looking for tools to make stuff, whatever, but I'm like, I can use all this stuff, like. I'm like the sandpaper. I can. I'm thinking about ways. Okay, I want to depict myself, and I'm I'm thinking about hair. I'm thinking about black hair. How can I make that? I mean, I could do a thousand things, but I want to talk about like the texture, the coarseness. You know what I mean? Let me let me make it out of sandpaper because when you touch it, like obviously I don't want anyone to touch my art. But if you think about touching it, you already know how it feels. Like if you touch the hair. You know what I mean? So I start making the hair out of sandpaper and rather than like traditionally painting it or something, you know, with oil paints, like, no, that's, that's, um, that's fine, but it's just not for me. I don't call myself a painter or printmaker or sculptor. I can do these things. I'm more focused on being an artist. So I'm not trapped in, in like one medium because you can't do it all in one medium. No, not at all. You know, you, you, you really can't. Um, and if you try, you just, you, you boxing yourself in. So that's the way I, I see it. And yeah. And then, and then the, the materials, some have that some of the meanings, sorry, now there's a motorcycle coming across in my, <laughs> I live like on a very busy uh, street as well. I hope it's not too loud, but no, I don't hear anything. It's okay. Good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Some, some material is, you know, it's like the, the prime part of the, the, the main subjects of the work. Some of it is secondary. Some of the material is really doesn't have any deep meaning for me, but maybe together it'll form a new meaning or maybe for the viewer, it'll mean something else. But like, again, I, I could paint a Gucci sweater. I could rip out a Gucci logo on a magazine and put it or I could make, what does it mean to make a Gucci sweater out of toilet paper and the materials that are used to wipe your ass or something? Like, what, is, what, is, what does this mean? Does it mean anything? I don't know. But it's more interesting for me to do it like that than to do it in a more traditional or obvious way. A lot of my characters, since I've moved to Mexico, like their clothes are made of like this plastic like tablecloth that everyone uses here. If there's a, a person selling fruit in the street, like on a cart, they'll, they'll typically have like this plastic tablecloth that has stripes and they'll sell like mangoes or whatever. You know, I, I make I make clothes out of that. Yeah, yeah, for the art. Not, not for myself. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe one day. I don't know. We'll be on the lookout for that. But yeah. So the material is it, meaning, but it has, it has uh, an... It had a history. It had a purpose. 
And, and I think that history, it carries that into the art and it becomes something new and it expands on it. Definitely. And just as a last question to sort of round out the episode, if there could be, you know, maybe just one piece of advice or one word of wisdom that you would give to aspiring artists or aspiring creatives, what would you say? Keep hustling, keep working. Even if that means you have two, three jobs, always make time for the studio. And that, that's what I used to do. A lot of people say stuff like that, but they, you know, I don't know if they was really doing it. I mean, there was one point I had, I had three different jobs and, and my studio it, because you got to be prepared. My uncle told me, my uncle Chris, shout out to uncle Chris. <laughs> when I left, when I was going to leave for London, he's like, man, this is a big move, especially for someone like you, like where we come from. This is, this is big. But he's like, you always got to stay prepared. You got to be in the studio, making your work, stay sharp. Because he told me, he was like, what do you say? He was like, luck is when uh, preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. Because I was like, maybe I'll get lucky. Like, you never, like, I don't know what's out. I've never really been to Europe. Like, who knows? He was like, well, you got to be prepared because a lot of people, um, luck, I, I believe luck and chance and opportunity, it comes Everyone gets it at least once in their life, but not everyone is prepared to receive it. So it'll, it'll pass you by. Right. So he was like, just, just make sure if or when it comes, you're prepared. So if, you know, a museum uh, director, whoever director of this place or a gallery comes and they're like, you know, do you have some work? I'm like, yeah, I got like 10 pieces right now in the studio and this new project, like, let's, you know. Just be prepared. And that means you got to sacrifice, take care of your health, physical health, mental health, but but uh, be prepared. So that that's, that's my advice. Stay true to yourself. Be vulnerable. Ask questions. And seek out good, healthy people. You know, there's a lot of people trying to take advantage. Galleries, collectors, whoever. Most you know, don't, don't be afraid. I was talking to my friend. You know, another painter, Elmi, Ventura Mata. Shout out to him too. Yeah, I was like, um, people slide in DMs. This thing, slide in a DM. They want sexy photos or they want to like ask you out on a date. But I'm like, but who's sliding in DMs to, to like, to ask people like, how are you doing this? Like, help me. And that's what I was doing like back in the day. Like I would slide in Derek Adams DMs be like, man, like, I need help. Like, I, you don't know me, but like, should I frame this or not? <laughs> and he was like, dude, he was like, bro, you're a young artist. No one knows you. you. Probably don't have no money. Like, don't worry about it. It's about the, it's about the work at the end of the day. Don't worry about framing and shit. No. And that's what I needed to hear at the time. And I think that's also part about being vulnerable. You have to open up and, and admit like, man, I don't know. Like help. Can you help me? I, I want to learn. I don't know everything. And that, that's the advice I would give. I love that. I think that that's so powerful and so important. And uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're only sliding in DMs for dating and sexy photos, you need to reevaluate your life. <laughs> right, basically. right, right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, this has been great. Thank you for your time and honesty and vulnerability. It's been a super nice interview. Thank you. 
That was our episode with Clotilde Jimenez, the Honolulu native whose work focuses on colorful collage materials alluding to Western culture through the reuse of everyday materials such as wallpaper, popular clothing brand names, magazine clippings, and papers of Mexican craft. I want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Clotilde for sharing his life and work with me. And it's a wrap, folks. That's our episode of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected. Conversations on culture and current events with some of today's hottest creative contemporaries. These episodes were recorded in between New York and Miami and reflect the times we are living in while also adding some commentary to the social, cultural, and political issues of the past year. I'm your host, Fola Shade Ologundudu, and we'll see you next time. As always, stay motivated, stay inspired, and stay up. Peace and love, y'all. We out.